Well, hello there, top teachers. We are your hosts, Bridget Spackman. And Michelle Emerson, and we are here to make your life easier by helping you master your time, organization, and productivity as a teacher. This episode is filled with a whole lot of tough love. So buckle in as we share the three things that you should not be doing this upcoming school year. Ooh. I'm very intrigued to hear what they are, even though I already know, but hopefully y'all are intrigued. First, let's hear a TSH from Jessica. Jessica says, every week, my grade level gets 45 minutes to plan. I am the grade level chair, and there are four of us on the team. As much as I want to be productive at these meetings, (laughs) we all know where this is going, Mm -hmm. the meetings turn into chit chat about our kids or issues we have in the classroom. I enjoy this, but then I am upset at myself because the meeting was not productive. How can I, as the leader of the team, keep us on track without seeming antisocial or rude? Mm. So Michelle and I have both been team leaders. So this is, I think we have some really good tips for you. Jessica, I will tell you that I feel like I have always said that getting adults to focus is harder than getting your students' attention. They just <laughs> so cannot, true. for the love of them, do the things that they need to get done. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know what happens. <laughs> um, but here's the thing. It's okay to give your team some time to talk. They need to release stress, and that's important. Your job as a team leader is to kind of help reel them back in. So you need to be okay with speaking up. And you might feel like you're being kind of the bee and that nobody's going <laughs> to like you and that you're being rude. But I promise you, you're not. And you can do this in really easy, simple ways. So you can say, okay, so why don't we go ahead and get started by and then say the thing that you want to get started by. Or you can say, hey, Michelle, do you mind going ahead and pulling up the curriculum and projecting it so that we can get started in a second? Like start giving people things to do and start kind of directing the attention somewhere else. And don't be afraid to say what you need to in order to help get those people to focus a little bit more. I mean, that's kind of your role. You're there to do that. And they understand it. And if they hate you, eh, who cares? (laughs) That's my philosophy. I'm like, I'm not here to be BFFs with you guys. Focus and let's get the job done. (laughs) I feel like everyone should hit that where you like rewind by 30 seconds, like hit that two or three times and go back and re-listen to that because I think that was solid advice. I love what you said about your role as the team lead is to reel them back in. That's such a good way to think about it. Like we're not saying you can't let it cast off a little bit, but you have to be able to reel it back in. Mm -hmm. And Bridget gave some great examples of ways that you can do that without seeming overly rude. I am that team lead that loves to have like an agenda and a schedule and know exactly what we're going to talk about. Y'all know I'm I'm a planner. I love to have things planned out like to the minute. (laughs) So what I always did is I would create an agenda for the meeting ahead of time. Then I would send it out to each team member in advance. So here's kind of how I did that. We had a Google Doc and it basically had the different sections that we needed to talk about. And I would actually start drafting it like right when the previous week's meeting ended. So the team teachers would all leave my room. I would pull up the agenda for the next week and go ahead and put like reminders on there, things that we needed to talk about, important dates that were coming up. And then I would go ahead and share it with them right away. So they had a week to review it understand what we were going to talk about, and then they could add anything that they wanted to talk about to the agenda as well. So there was kind of that accountability. It wasn't me doing all of the work. 
I would initiate sending out the Google Doc, but it was everyone's responsibility Mm -hmm. to add things to it. But when it came to more, that was like our grade level meetings for the events and things going on in fourth grade. We also then had like curriculum meetings. So all the math teachers would meet together. And I found in those scenarios, it was best to assign each person a role. So if there were three of us meeting, maybe one person is going to look over the standards that go with the lessons coming up that we're going to be teaching. And they're going to help us understand how the lessons progress, maybe like where are the students coming from in third grade? What do we need to make sure that they can do by the end of it, et cetera, et cetera. One person's job might be to kind of review the lessons that we're going to be teaching and give like a brief synopsis of each one of like, hey, in this lesson, we're doing this. In this lesson, we're doing this. And maybe the third person, their job is to find some like differentiated activities that we can have available for students. So that way, everyone's coming in already with some work done kind of on their own. And the meeting is just a chance to kind of review it and collaborate. If you find that you have those discussions about students and it's kind of derailing the conversation, you can add a spot on the agenda to discuss students, have it filled out ahead of time. Like again, Mm -hmm. when I would send it out to my team teachers, it's like, hey, add any students you want to discuss and have it be at the end. That way time is kind of limited and you don't let it get too far off and it doesn't derail the entire meeting. I love that. That is some solid advice for how to organize meetings. So kudos, Michelle. Very nice. Um, I feel like this episode should come with like a warning label. (laughs) Like warning, warning. (laughs) It might be beneficial that if you listen to this, um, you're in the right mindset to accept criticism um, and just kind of hear things with an open mind. If you're feeling cranky, if you're kind of spicy at the moment, if you just got into an (laughs) argument with your teenager or it's just really hot outside and you've just, you know, been in the weather for a good like hour, this may not be the episode to listen to. So save it and then just come back to it later. Yeah. As Billy always tells me, he's like, oh, you need a Q-tip. And I remember the first time he told it to me, I'm like, I was like, what are you talking about? So Q-tip stands for quit taking it personal. And so it's like being able to accept criticism as feedback rather than like a personal attack on you as a person. Yeah. Yeah. So in this episode, we are going to share three things we think every teacher needs to stop doing this school year. These are things we have done ourselves and mm-hmm. have come to realize have a very negative impact on our mindset toward teaching along with like a negative impact on our actual teaching practices. We're going to share what you need to stop doing, but then also kind of like what to do instead. So if you're ready for a little self-reflection, let's jump into it. Yeah. So I like to think that I, I mean, I know that I still do a lot of the things that we're going to talk about, but I do try to be very mindful of them now. Um, So I think they're even just great reminders that as we go through these three things of just like, yeah, I'm not going to do that. Yeah, we're this year is going to be different. And I feel like this is a great episode to just save and come back to over and over to just kind of it's like that little pep talk, that tough love that we all need every now and again. Okay, so the first one that we have for you is to stop trying to please everyone else. Teachers have a tendency to be people pleasers. We try and make everyone happy at the cost of making ourselves unhappy. 
Stop that. Stop doing that. (laughs) When you give all of your energy and your time, you're depleting yourself until there is nothing left. You're going to end up feeling anxious. You're going to feel overworked. You're going to be burnt out by October. And it's because we're constantly trying to give ourselves to everyone else and we're not stopping and thinking about us. And so stop doing that. Here are some really good examples of this, okay? Volunteering for roles in your building or assisting with events. So this might be that your principal comes in and says, hey, I really need somebody to kind of lead this like professional development next week at this PD that we're doing and they want you to do it. And so now you have all this extra work that you have to get done right? That's a ton of work and you're trying to do what everybody else is doing, but now you've added more work onto yourself. Taking on other workloads for your team, meaning Mm -hmm. you decide I'm going to be the one that makes the slides. I'll make the copies for everyone. Yep. I'm going to have it sorted. I'm going to put it on your desk. I have definitely been that person Mm -hmm. for years for Mm -hmm. years. I still am that person. And I have to tell myself and I have to tell people, actually, can you go and do that? And it's so hard. I get it. It is really hard. Taking on other teaching styles because you see like trends or you have administration saying that this is the way that you need to do things. And it just doesn't feel authentic. It doesn't feel you. You're forcing something that's not natural and it's exhausting. So we end up feeling overwhelmed. We're burnt out. And in so many ways, we feel unappreciated because we don't get the reaction that we expect from others when we're doing some of these tasks. Yeah, I think so much of this stems from like the realities don't match your expectations. And then that leads to disappointment. Now, we completely understand that this is easier said than done, right? Like stop trying to please people. Sounds good in theory, but then it's really hard to do in practice. So we have three tips for you. Tip number one, if it's not an immediate yes, it's a no. (laughs) And you will know that right away. When you get asked to do something, you either get really excited about it or you immediately begin dreading it. Now, if it is something that excites you, it's worth making time for in your schedule. I always say where there's a will, there's a way. So even if you're super busy, if you're really excited about something, like you'll find a way to get it done. This makes me think of Bridget and I are just wrapping up our like book projects at the time we're recording this. And that was something when I had the opportunity to write a book, it really excited me. And even though I knew I was going to be super busy and I knew it would be hard to fit in, I was like, it's fine. It's worth making time for. But if it's something you're completely dreading, it's worth taking another look at it. Now, there are things we dread doing, but we still have to do, right? Like you may not like going to the dentist, but you got to do it. However, there are things that we dread that we can also choose not to commit to. So make sure you take time to really ask yourself, okay, was this an immediate yes? Because if not, it needs to be a no. The second tip is to consider the trade-off. Every time you say yes to one thing, you're saying no to something else. I just wrote a whole chapter about this in my book, so it's like fresh in my mind. But a lot of times, yes is the easiest answer because you're making someone else happy. Mm -hmm. And so in that moment, it's easy, but it ends up costing you later on. It almost like puts you in debt and then you have to spend your time like paying back that debt. And a lot of times you're like, wait, no, I want to return it. But then it's too late. So If you commit to something, think about what you're giving up. And when I think about what I'm giving up, 
I'm going to think about the time that I'm giving up, Mm -hmm. the memories I'm giving up, the experiences I'm giving up, the energy I'm giving up. Like your energy is limited. And when you give energy to one thing, that's less energy you have for something else. So another way to kind of flip this and think about it is also like if you say no to something, what are you saying yes to? So by saying no to something, like what do you get to do more of? It's just another way to kind of flip it. So you might want to establish boundaries around certain areas of your life. I know Bridget has certain boundaries in place around like family time. I have a boundary around my gym time. It's like the one thing I refuse to let go of because it brings me so much joy. So ask yourself what you truly want to say yes to, and then say no to everything that would get in the way of that. And then the third and final tip is to ask yourself if this person would come to your funeral. I get it. This is totally morbid, but it can really help you decide if this person's opinion actually matters to you. If it's someone that would come to your funeral, take a second and really consider their feedback. You know, think about how you could use it to grow. Consider their perspective. So for example, if Bridget told me something that I didn't agree with, like I can still at least use her perspective to try to widen mine. Yes. Whereas, you know, if it's someone and I'm like, they would never come to my funeral, like I don't care what they think about me because they don't know me well enough to even form a educated opinion, I guess is the right Mm -hmm. way to put that. Yeah, for sure. And we're in the business of people. That is what our jobs do, right? So we want to do well. We want to strive. We want to make a big impact in our lives, of, of the lives of our students. But we have to remember that this cannot be at the cost of our health, well-being, sanity, and family. So to recap some of those solutions Michelle mentioned is number one, if it's not an immediate yes, then it's a no. Number two is to consider the trade-off. And number three is to ask yourself if this person would come to your funeral. Very morbid, Michelle. (laughs) (laughs) So right now we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we have a very controversial opinion to share with you all. Hey, Bridget, question for you. Are you still doing those arm exercises I showed you when I last visited? Yeah, I have. I've even gone up to 20 pounds, so I'm super impressed with myself. But my arms are always really sore. I'm just grateful (laughs) that I don't have to carry a ton of items inside of my teacher bag every day. Yeah, because you do all of your planning digitally, right? Of course I do. You know that I've been a digital planner for years now. I use our digital teacher planner on my iPad, and I love that I have access to my plans everywhere I go. Now, I was always team Google Slides, but thankfully, our digital teacher planner comes in two formats, so you can choose between a tablet version and a Google Slides version. Plus, I love that I have every checklist I need for the school year, so I can stay on top of my game and spend time with my family on the weekends. Now, if you want to be like Bridget and get some of your time back by planning digitally, you can grab our planner in our store at teachingonthedouble.com slash store. We have all the different planner options available, plus you can customize the planner you choose with digital stickers we have available in our store as well. We have monthly stickers, header stickers, and fitness stickers if you're trying to up your workout game like me. (laughs) You're going to be so buff the next time I see you. (laughs) I can't wait. Now, we also have a set of stickers you can download for free, no purchase required. You can grab those by clicking the black button at the top of our website that says free stickers. So head on over to our website, teachingonthedouble.com, and get started with digital planning today. All right, we're back with the controversial opinion. (laughs) The second thing we think teachers need to stop doing this year 
is to stop making excuses. Oof. Oof. Uh, yeah. Oof. I said oof. <laughs> Hear us out on this one. We all want to be great teachers, right? We all have the same goal. But that can cause us to kind of get defensive sometimes. It's almost like we feel the need to provide a reason for why something didn't get done because it makes us feel better about Mm -hmm. whatever our weakness is. Yes. So maybe we really struggle with time management. So then if we don't have time to get to something, our immediate response is, well, I was just too busy. I didn't have time for that. But what's really happening is we are encountering problems and then we are avoiding them or almost trying to like justify them instead of finding the solutions. And this ends up making our lives harder in the future because then that same problem is going to resurface again and again and again because it's not actually being solved. So here's an example. Maybe you're telling yourself, well, I don't have time to get my lesson planning done a week in advance. Like that's just not possible for me. Well, maybe the problem is you aren't using your planning time efficiently. And, you know, this kind of goes back to then your response might be, well, I don't have enough planning time. Okay. But are you using the time you do have? Because you can't control how much planning time you have, but you can control how you utilize that time. Are you using it efficiently? So instead of solving this problem, you just continue getting distracted. You talk to your coworkers and you never develop the systems that are needed in order to plan efficiently. So the problem just continues. We need to stop complaining about these problems and we have to stop making excuses for our shortcomings. You know, Michelle, when you were talking about all of this, it makes me think of like when our students come up to us and they're like, oh, yes, well, but I, but yes. such and such person was like talking to me and uh-huh. this and this and this was happening. It's the same thing, mm-hmm. right? Like yep. we're telling them, okay, you need to stop making excuses and you need to be responsible for yourself. Mm-hmm. Well, you almost need to record that and like listen to it. That's like you're telling yourself as a student, yep. like I need to stop making excuses for the things that I'm doing. So, yep. So mm. we do have some tips for you um, in order to help kind of make this shift of not making excuses anymore. Um, was that like a double negative there? No, that wasn't. It made sense to me. <laughs> All right, cool. Okay. So number one is to identify the deeper problem and solve it. There is always a root to every problem that we complain about. Your job is that you have to identify why this is happening. And this might take some time to like figure out, right? Um, There will be times that it's almost like a domino effect of issues. And so you're going to solve one problem, but then you're going to realize, oh, wait, but there's something else that's causing that to end up happening. So a really good example of this is like student behaviors, they might have additional routes to solve, right? I may need to focus on how to, you know, react to certain situations. I might need to minimize student movement because that's where behaviors are occurring. Um, Or I might need to be more explicit in some of my directions so that I can minimize some of those student Mm. behaviors there. Do you see how there's like multiple things that I'm having to solve in order to solve this bigger issue of, well, I have tons of students who have behavior issues and I'm never really able to get to my curriculum. And sometimes solving one problem will automatically solve some of the others, which is nice. Yes, for sure. So determine what the issue is and start making a plan to help create that solution. The second solution or second tip here is to complain 
and then take action. <laughs> Listen, we all have to complain. We got to let it out. We need to let it into the universe. There is nothing wrong with letting out a little bit of steam to your partner teacher. We do it all the time. Michelle and I, that's what our walks mm-hmm. are for. <laughs> what ends up being an issue is that is when we allow that complaining to consume us and never make any changes. So we have to find ways to vent for a little bit and then solve the problem and take action. So give yourself about five to 10 minutes and then ask, okay, I let it out. Now, what do I need to do? What are my next steps? The point is, is that you're trying to take those necessary steps to make things better versus just allowing the complaining to take over. Mm. Tip number three or solution number three, is to let go of what you can't control. There will absolutely be times when you find aspects of teaching that are, that you just need to vent about and create excuses for, but then you can't really do anything about it, right? I like to think of administration, procedures that are taking into place there. Um, I like to think about different, um, implementations or models that you're going to have to start doing. And then it's like, well, this is going to affect this. And now I can't do this. And it just starts to kind of fester inside of you. So you need to determine what is out of your control. And then you can't dwell on it anymore. Okay. You need to just kind of find the joy in what you do each day and just allow that to go away. Let things go. Be like Elsa from Frozen. She is kind of my person that I go to and I'm like, let it go. (laughs) I sing that to the students and I'm really terrible at it, but it's a great way to kind of remember that I can't control everything. Yep. So Choose your battles and be okay with letting things go, but also find solutions where you can. Mm. Be like Elsa. I feel like that just wraps it up. But to recap, you need to stop making excuses because those excuses are not going to help solve the deeper problem that exists and that problem is going to keep resurfacing. Instead, you can identify the deeper problem and solve it. You can complain and take action and then ultimately let go of what you can't control. So the next thing um, that we are going to stop doing as teachers this year, or their last one actually, is to stop making it harder on yourself. And there are kind of a few ways that we can look at this. Um, One of the ways that we do this and just making things harder is reinventing the wheel because we don't like how things look. (laughs) I've been there, done that. Mm -hmm. This ends up taking more time and energy doing something that was okay and making it into a bigger task than it needed to be. So this might be a time when like a team teacher comes to you, shares a resource because they've created an activity for a lesson that you have coming up and it isn't cute. It doesn't (laughs) exactly look the way that you want it to look. And so you spend an hour recreating it with your fonts, your preferences, making it exactly what it was. The content was good. The questions were great. You know, there was a space for the kids to put answers, but you just needed it to look a little bit different. Mm-hmm. You're reinventing the wheel when you don't have to. Yep. The second way that we do this is that we never go the extra step to create a template or a system. <laughs> there are routines in our classroom that happen every school year, every month, every week, and every day. Finding ways to work smarter, not harder is important. So a great example is that you spend like 20 minutes typing out an email response, but then you don't save it as a template. So you're retyping that email response Mm -hmm. every time a parent asks that exact same question. 
just save it. Then you can copy and paste it. It takes you less time. Yep. The third way that we make things harder is that we add things to our to-do list that aren't necessary. There will always be a to-do list, guys. Let's just be honest. But adding items that you need to do that you just can't let go of because you feel like, um, and that ends up like causing you to just feel super overwhelmed because you're not able to get things done, right? So you just keep yep. adding things. A great example is is that we laminate everything. <laughs> we reorganize the same space over and over again. We change our classroom th- theme halfway throughout the year. We change the letterboard every week with a new quote. These are going to be those unnecessary to-do items that if you just got rid of that <laughs> letterboard, you wouldn't have to spend the like 15 minutes it would take to re-put in a new phrase every single week. Take those unnecessary items out. The last way that we do this is that we overcomplicate things. So games with like 20 little things to cut out and then spend an entire weekend like printing, cutting, laminating just so that you can have this like 20 minute activity is ridiculous. Instead of spending the time cutting some of those alternative games out, you could make things a little bit easier so that you can spend time at home and enjoying your life. It's almost as if we normalize that teachers have to work all the time. And so we try to find ways to fill it. Yep. And obviously taking these things off your to-do list will save you a ton of time, but it'll also allow you to just feel less exhausted. So you'll have more energy to do the things you need to be doing. Mm -hmm. So here are a few tips you can use to help you kind of, again, make that shift because it's easier said than done. The first tip is to create what I'm going to call a mustard and mayo list or a must-do and a may-do list. I use this with my students as well. Basically, your mustard list would be the items you must get done. So those are the things you need to prioritize. For example, lesson planning, grading, answering emails. These are things that usually other people depend on. And they're probably the things that you don't really look forward to doing because either they're time consuming or they just take a lot of mental effort. On the other end, your Mayo list would be the things you want to do, but aren't necessarily a priority. So for example, adding new labels to the bins in your classroom, or maybe creating like a fancy anchor chart. I always dreaded creating anchor charts because I'm not good at like actually drawing or making things look cute on paper. (laughs) I can do it digitally, but not on paper. Yeah, I agree. So for me, that would have been like a mustard item. But these are the things that you care more about than the other tasks on your to-do list, but these are the things that aren't really moving the needle forward. They just make you happy or make you feel accomplished. So they are important, but ultimately they kind of need to take a back seat. So we recommend sorting your task onto the to list and you need to be strict with yourself. You need to complete all of your mustards before your mayo. However, if you are like me, and maybe you need like some joy along the way. <laughs> like you just you just need a little sunshine. You could be a little more flexible and maybe each time you complete a mustard, you then get to choose a mayo. This can help with that long-term motivation because it's almost like you get that little burst of energy each time and you're like, oh, yeah. this is fun. I want to keep going. I want to do another <laughs> mustard so I can do another mayo. <laughs> the second tip is to make sure the effort matches the result. Now, there are small things that you can be doing that aren't necessarily a priority, but they will make your life a lot easier. Mm -hmm. Here's an example of that. If you have bins inside of a drawer and every time you open the drawer, the bins like shift around and then you have to like re, you know, modulate them to get them to fit together. 
if you take two seconds and attach them down using like museum gel or some kind of like double-sided sticky tape, that's then going to make your life much easier in the future because you won't have to rearrange them. So even though it wasn't a priority to tape down those bins, it did make your life easier through that little bit of action. However, there are other things that can easily suck up your time without providing any real benefits. So if you're looking at a shelf of books and you're like, ooh, I really want to reorganize those in rainbow order, that's going to probably take you forever. And then afterwards, what did you get out of it? You got a pretty shelf, but like it's not functional. It didn't actually make your life any easier. So before you complete a task, ask yourself, how much effort will it take me? And then what results will come from it? Ideally, you want something that's small effort and big results. You want to avoid things that are a big effort and you only get small results. (laughs) And then the third and final tip is to ask yourself, why am I doing this? And this is where you really have to give yourself some tough love. If you are redesigning a worksheet to make it cute, that's only benefiting yourself. Guess what? Your students are not going to notice a change in fonts unless you use like a cute script font that they can't read. And then they're asking you what it says. You need to ditch these practices. However, if you are, let's say, theming an activity around something your students are interested in. So I think about like when Fortnite was super popular. If you're creating like a Fortnite themed digital escape room, that could be benefiting your students, right? If it's going to make them more engaged, then that is serving them instead of you. So before you complete a task, think about who you are doing it for. Ideally, you would want it to benefit both you and someone else. If it's only benefiting you, it may not be worth your time. If it's only benefiting other people, that goes back to the first thing we talked about with pleasing people. So you really want to find that middle ground. Like ideally, if you can make it cute, but also functional. There you go. (laughs) So to recap, you have to stop making things more difficult for yourself and find ways to create less friction and ease. This will benefit not only your time, but your energy levels each week. So here are the tips that Michelle mentioned. Tip number one is to create a mustard and mayo list. I love that you have food references throughout all of your (laughs) teaching, (laughs) which is a must do and then a may do list. Tip number two is to make sure the effort matches the results. And tip number three is to ask yourself, why am I doing this? <laughs> so I'm going to quickly recap those three things that we said you want to stop doing overall. The first one was to stop pleasing everyone else. The second one was to stop making excuses. And then the third and final one was to stop making it harder on yourself. Now that is going to wrap up this episode, but we would love for you to head over to our website, teachingonthedouble.com. We've got freebies for you. You can submit a TSH for the chance to be featured on a future episode. You can grab any of our digital teacher planners or stickers in our store, and you can even listen to our podcast episodes right there on the website. Now, while you're at it, we would love for you to subscribe to the podcast. That way you're notified every time we drop a new episode, which is every Thursday morning. And if you listen to us on iTunes, please, please, please leave us a review. It truly does help us get into the ears of so many more teachers. And until next time, be timely, stay organized, and be productive. Bye-bye. See ya.